All right, I'm just going gonna, just gonna to pray one more time as people are, are finishing up prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who desires to move us upward and inward and higher and further, God, that you are a God who is not content with where we're at. But you have a desire and a yearning, God, to continually conform us to the likeness of your Son. So we ask right now that you would cause a stirring in us, God, a stirring in us and a desire, God, for more. Right now that a spirit of complacency, if it's honest, God, that would be torn off. We tear it off in Jesus' name. We command it to leave. We ask that you would cause a stirring in us for more, God, because you are a God of more. You're a God who's always leading us into more. We ask that you would awaken our hearts, that you would awaken our minds to your word, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to greater and greater degrees in this place this evening, God, that you would release us into truth, God. Thank you, Father. We praise you, God. We set our hearts fully on you, God. We put our trust and our hope in you. We ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, last week, last Sunday, at both campuses, Pastor Christian preached on what? Extravagant worship. It was the first of our core values. We've got a list of nine core values at our church. The first one that we touched on for a Sunday message is just that. Be extravagant in worship. And we are blessed in so many ways to be a part of a church where we have, we're, we're moving toward this. There is a desire. I see a hunger. I sense it from week to week for more and for, for really pressing into the heart of God. And as, as a worship leader, as a praise leader, I'm blessed to be able to see that and be a part of that in this place. We, this, is a, this is a special place. We should all feel blessed and privileged to be in this place worshiping God together. And Pastor Christian last week, he, he talked a lot about music and about praise and, and also about tithing as, as expressions of worship. But one thing he was hinting at and pointing toward, but didn't really get to in his message and would have, I know, if he had time. But we're going we're gonna to press into this today is that worship is so much more than music, Right? And most of us here have a fairly good sense of that. Like often when we hear the word worship, we think of, of worship music and worship songs and worship bands and worship albums, right? And that sort of thing. But worship is really, in, in a number of ways, it's, it's all of life, actually. That every person on earth is a worshiper. You don't have to be Christian to be a worshiper. Every person who has ever lived on earth, if you are a human being, then you are a worshiper. Whether you're Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or Jewish or atheist or agnostic or something else, you are a worshiper. The way that God has wired us as human beings is to worship. That's just who we are. We worship every day. And worship is really two things. Worship is firstly a response to something or someone. 
and it's sacrifice. Worship is a response and it's sacrifice. And that can take all sorts of forms. People worship all sorts of things. One thing that people worship commonly, in a culture like in Korea, people worship education, right? What you worship is really what you sacrifice, whether it's money or time or relationships or resources, what you sacrifice things for, right? The object of your worship is what you are sacrificing money, relationships, time, anything for. That is the object of your worship. People can either worship rightly or wrongly. Two different ways to worship. Now, wrongly directed worship is sacrificing, again, all these things, money, time, relationships, and ultimately your relationship with God for something else in response to it. So we mentioned education. People love education. Parents, I, I used to be a hagwon teacher. I know that kids in Korea are going to all sorts of hagwons. I just, actually, one of our classmates today in school, he was, he was talking about how his daughter was, was in a hagwon or two, but she, she desperately wanted to go to more hagwons because that's just the culture in so many ways of Korea. Education is a god in some ways for so many people in this nation. Right? People worship education. People worship prestigious jobs. Right? You'll sacrifice all sorts of things, all sorts of good things that God has given to you to get that, to get to that place. People worship entertainment. You see that again in Korea a lot. I remember I have, I have these friends in Canada, and it's, it's an issue in, in the West as well. They will structure out their weeks, their days of the week, by what they're going to watch on TV that night. You know, it's Monday, so I'm going to watch this. Or it's the other way around. This, is, this, this show's on TV tonight, so it must be Wednesday, right? That's how they structure their weeks. They sacrifice time. They sacrifice money. They sacrifice relationships. They are sacrificing their relationship with God in this wrongly directed worship because they're a worshiper. They're designed, they're wired to worship, to respond and sacrifice. When I was young, I worshipped hockey. (laughs) I hope you guys don't get sick of me talking about hockey. It's It's always like the best analogy for me to give for my own life. But... But I sacrificed all sorts of things. I sacrificed time, money, you know, relationships. I sacrificed lots. I sacrificed my relationship with God in certain ways to play hockey because it was my whole life. It was, I ate, I drank it, I, I lived it, I breathed it. I was going to play in the NHL. Like that was just, that's what I was going to do. That's, that's what I, and I like, some of you guys know that I, I used to have my own horse. Yeah, I, used, I grew up with my own horse. His name was Blaze. Yes. I shared this with some people at, uh, at a pastor's cafe. And uh, yeah, Blaze, my horse. He was a half quarter, half Arabian, beautiful horse. 
And, uh, and so I grew up on an acreage in Canada. I had the opportunity to have my own horse. Very, very special. But um, because I loved hockey so much, I got to high school. I still had this horse. Um, I came to a place where hockey became so expensive that I needed to come up with some money. And, and you know what's coming out? I sacrificed my horse because I was worshiping hockey. Yeah. Like, no, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't kill it, just in case you were wondering. What, wasn't that kind of sacrifice? <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the burnt offerings of the Lord or anything. No. It was, um, yeah, I, I needed money, and I thought this is the only way I'm going to get money to, to play hockey. And I, was, I grew up as a goalie, so it was even more expensive for me um, with all the equipment and everything. But anyways, that was what I worshipped. But if you look around, just look around from day to day as you live, you will see that people are worshipping all around you. Different things. We are responding and we're sacrificing all sorts of things for the glory of something else. We worship ourselves often. We make an idol out of our own lives, like plastic surgery and just looking at ourselves in the mirror all the time, you know? That's a sacrifice of time, right? When you're like just gazing at yourself in the mirror, you know? It can be at least. Anyways, the point is we are all worshipers. Every human being is designed and wired to worship. And that goes so far beyond music or anything else like that. And what I want to look at today is we're going to look at something that the Apostle Paul says about worship. And I stand here with a conviction tonight that God's heart is to grow us as worshipers. To grow us as rightly directed worshipers. Like God is not interested in us staying where we are right now in terms of how we worship him. And he's fully interested in growing, in developing, and shaping us as white-hot worshipers unto him. That's God's heart. And I, even tonight when we were worshiping, I just felt the Lord pressing that on me. This is my desire. This is my heart for this body. He wants to grow us as worshipers. And he wants our vision for worship to expand from where it is right now. He wants to grow us in that. Okay, so what we're going to do is look at Romans 12. Very well-known passage about worship. To see what the Apostle Paul has to say about it. So in Romans 12, we're just going to look at the first verse. And this verse, this verse is so full. It's so full of substance that I think it would just take us so many sermons to actually unpack what Paul is really getting at here well. Like it's just, it's just rich. So we're going to look at it. Let's read it. Uh, I'll read it out for us from verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'm just going to read that one more time. Let it sink in. Let it just soak in this one verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All right? So Paul's going to emphasize, or what he is emphasizing here, are these two aspects of worship. That worship is, first of all, a response and it's secondly, sacrifice. Paul is affirming that in this one verse. And he's saying, first of all, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's got a therefore, and he's talking about the mercies of God. What we need to understand about the book of Romans is that the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, everything in Romans up to this point is really about a history of the human race in regard to sin and salvation. Sin and the rescue of God and redemption. That's what Paul is developing in a very systematic way through the book of Romans. So Paul's really nailing this home. Who we were, who we are, and how it got to be that way. And so that's the first 11 chapters. So when Paul says, therefore, his therefore is referring to all of that. Therefore, because of all of this, worship. Because of everything that God has done for you, worship. And the two specific words we're going to spend the most time on tonight, just two words, God's mercy. That's what we're looking at here. That's what we're responding to is God's mercy. If we want to understand worship, if we want to grow as worshipers, if that's our desire, then we need to get a hold of these two words and understand what they mean. God's mercy. Because that's what we're worshiping in response to. So that leaves us with with two questions, really, and they're big questions. The first one is, who is God? The questions don't get much bigger than that. Who is God and what is his mercy? Who is God and what is his mercy? And so we're going to spend a little bit of time pondering God. We're going to spend, because you could spend the rest of your eternal existence meditating on the character and the nature and the attributes of God, and you can't come to the end of it. We're just going to take just a couple of minutes here. And to do this, I'm going to set this microphone down. I'm actually going to pick up Danny's guitar, and we're going to spend time meditating on God just for a few minutes, just so we're we're soaking in this, so we get this. Okay? You guys with me? Okay.
just fix your, your gaze fully on the glorious one upon the throne. God, the eternal king. Perfect in splendor and in majesty. and they came to be. He stretched out the heavens like a tent. Perfect in beauty and in splendor and in majesty. Perfect in strength and in love. The self-existent one who needs nothing, who needs no one. Worshipped and adored by countless angels, 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And 24 elders. And these four living creatures. Who never look away. Who are covered with eyes. 
all over their bodies. They are covered with eyes, and they will not look away. They will not look away from the beauty, from the glory, and the majesty of the one upon the throne. They will not look away. They will not. Their eyes were made to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and they will not look away, not for a second, not for a second, because of the glory and the majesty and the beauty of the Lord, the perfection of the Lord. Teach us to see you, Lord. Open our eyes. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. amazing how how we could talk about God all we want all day (laughs) but it doesn't come anywhere close to experiencing and seeing God right I could say all sorts of true things about God and they would move us toward a greater knowledge of him but not in the same way that just beholding him will, right? Beholding God. So that's what we were just doing for a few minutes. And man, he's, he's made a way by the blood of Jesus into his very presence so we can do that all the time. You know, wherever you are, there is no place in the world where you can't just go and do that. There's no time in your schedule where you can't just go and do that. Just be in his presence. So yeah, if, if worship is a response, then we need to know who God is. We need to know who this God is that we're responding to, right? You cannot worship anything you do not know. You cannot worship anyone you do not know. It's not possible. And the degree to which you know them is the degree to which you're going to be able to worship them. 
And so God's calling us further into greater levels of revelation. That's another thing that God's been impressing on my heart lately is that he's moving us there. He's moving us as a body into greater levels of revelation. That God, because he's interested in growing us as worshipers, he's committed to moving us forward. If you want it, it's there for you. God's going to move you into higher levels of revelation individually and corporately he's going to do that. He's preparing a bride and he wants his bride to be fully, completely in love with him. And the more you see God, the more you're going to be in love with him. All right. The first question, like we were saying before, is who is God? So we've just spent a little bit of time in that place. The other question that we're dealing with in Romans 12.1 is what is God's mercy? Right? In view of God's mercy, we're offering our bodies as living sacrifices. So what I want to do is turn to Ephesians 2, one of the, the best passages of Scripture for understanding God's mercy. Ephesians 2, and we'll look at the first three verses of that chapter. Paul says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, Paul here is, is painting about as bleak a picture as you could possibly paint. This is the lowest of lows that anyone could be. And the important thing for us to realize here is that although Paul's initial or his, his immediate context is the Ephesian Christians, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 is about every human being who has ever lived. If you are here tonight and you are human, this passage is about you. Okay? We got that? This passage is about you. It does not matter if you were brought up in a Christian home. It does not matter if you did not have a rebellious season of your life. This passage, the glory and the, and the brilliance of the gospel, part of it is that this passage is about you. Okay? So we're just going to walk through it a little bit. What is our state? What was our state before Jesus rescued us? Paul says, We were dead in the trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. Beloved, every one of us here, we all have to grab a hold of this. This is where we were. We were dead. We were not mostly dead. We were not partly dead or partly alive. We were fully, completely dead because we were completely separated from God and God is the source of all life. That's how it works. If you're separated from God, you're dead. So we were all totally dead. 
Got that? Without a hope in the world, you were dead. Good. We got it. I'm not going to expand more on it. We're, we're just going to keep moving. Uh, second thing that Paul says, in which you used to uh, walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We followed Satan, is what Paul is saying in verse 2. All of us. You know, you may not have realized it. You might have just been a little child before you came to Christ. But you were following Satan. That's the truth of what Paul's saying here. He's just saying it, you know. You followed the ways of the world. You were pulled by the flow of the world. And you were being pulled along by Satan. You followed him. It's not a good place to be in, following Satan around, okay? So you were dead, completely dead, separated from life entirely. You were following Satan around. It's a bad thing. Okay, and... Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were following our flesh around. We were doing what our flesh desired to do. Because as Paul says in Romans 6, he says we were slaves to sin. We were all addicts of sin. We, we had no choice but to sin. That's where we were before you came to Christ, before you surrendered your life to him. You were a slave to sin. You had to sin because you had no choice. It's what you were. It was your very nature as someone who was dead following Satan around. And lastly, you were by nature objects of wrath. You had the wrath of God, the just, righteous Wrath of God upon you. This is where we were. We were completely helpless and hopeless. All of us. Eternally lost. Bound for hell. An eternal separation from God. All of us. Every single one of us. Every single person you've ever seen in your life was there at one time or is still there now. That's one thing every human being has in common. We need to feel the weight of this. Now, it's important to remember that we're past this. We're on the other side of the cross. But we cannot lose sight entirely of where we were. Otherwise, we will not understand what God's mercy means. We need to know the depth of our depravity before Jesus rescued us. Otherwise, we will not understand his mercy. And that's what we're living in response to. So this was our position, every one of us. And then one of the most glorious conjunctions in Scripture appears in verse 4. If you're a fan of conjunctions. Verse 4 says, and I'm just going to read the rest of this passage. Because this, this was our state. And Paul says, but, but God. Not but JM, not but Zach, you know. Not but any person on earth who won their own salvation or earned it. But God rescued us. It says this. But God, being rich in mercy because of, his, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, <laughs> this is the, the biggest turnaround you could ever imagine. I wanted to think of a, an analogy or some sort of example, but you can't think of anything. There is nothing that comes anywhere near the turnaround that we all experienced as people who have come from darkness into light, people who have come from death into life, right? This is the great turnaround, and we did nothing to get it. We did nothing to earn it. It was not because of our goodness. Paul is trying to emphasize so clearly here. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace. We did nothing for it. God chose you. He reached down. He sent his son to die in our place for our sins so that we would be freed from sin and brought into the glorious life that he had for us. From death to life. We didn't do a thing. And Jesus did everything. He did everything. We couldn't. We were totally hopeless and helpless. This is the gospel. And he reached down. He rescued us. And it wasn't just something he decided to do one day. He paid for it with his very life on the cross. He died in our place for our sins. This is mercy. And I just pray right now that, that God is causing these truths to glow within us. There's actually, there's, there's nothing, I can't really say the right words to cause this truth to glow within us. It's only by the Spirit. The Spirit awakens these truths in us. This is truth. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit is, is stirring it in you. And that as you consider these things beyond tonight, that he'll continue to do that. And it will glow brighter within you. The truth of what Jesus has done for us. And what no one can ever take away. This is an eternal work that he's brought us into. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And when these truths touch upon your heart, Paul's point is that there is a response. In Romans 12, 1, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. So now going back to Romans 12, we know that worship is first of all a response. Worship is secondly sacrifice. And this is the imagery that Paul uses. He talks about living sacrifices. And that would have been, like when Romans would have heard that, immediately what they would have thought of is animal sacrifice. Because it was common at that time. They, all, we, they, they understood it far better than we understand it now. 
because we just don't, you know, see on the street, you know, animal sacrifice going up to the Lord. We, we don't have that going on. Uh, but they would have been fully aware of what Paul was getting at here. And the one thing that would have been emphasized to them about what sacrifice is, is that a sacrifice is meant to be consumed. When you have a burnt offering unto the Lord, you don't just burn part of it. It doesn't work that way. You light the thing on fire, and the whole thing gets consumed. burns up the whole thing. That's the image that people have in here. So when Paul says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, that's what they're seeing. Holy and pleasing unto God. And this, this expression, offer your body, is not just, not just your physical body. It, it includes your physical body. It includes your hands, your feet, your heart, your mind, you know, everything to be, to be fully given over to God for his purposes. But it includes your whole life. It includes your time. It includes your money, your resources. It includes your dreams and your hopes. Everything that's a part of who you are. That's what Paul's getting at here. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. And the last part, he ends verse 1 by saying, this is your spiritual act of worship. And the word spiritual there is really not, I don't believe it's the heart of what Paul is saying. The, the Greek word there has other meanings. And if you look in the footnotes of your Bible, you probably see some. Or you see probably at least one. If you've got footnotes in your Bible. Anything you're seeing there, just shout it out. Rational service. Anything else that anyone has? All right, that's, that's, that's an ESV rendering or optional rendering of that verse. Um, the, the Greek word there really, it means rational, it means reasonable, really. It's, it's the word we get logic from, the Greek word, logismos. It is logical. What Paul is really saying here, he's saying, in view of the first 11 chapters of this book, in view of God's mercy, the only logical thing left to do is offer everything. If the truth of this touches upon your heart, if your eyes are open to it, the only, actually one, one translation, at least one, translates it intelligent. The only intelligent thing to do is offer everything. That's it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's a theologically sound phrase of a song. Right? That's it. So worship is more than just coming here on a Sunday and getting together and singing some songs. It's more than just spending some time in the morning, in his presence, in prayer, reading the word, journaling, whatever it might be. Worship is everything. Worship is your whole life. Worship is what you do when you wake up and you eat breakfast. 
Worship is what you do when you commute to work. Worship is what you do when you're in the classroom, when you're in the office, when you come home, when you eat lunch, when you hang out with friends, when you rest. Worship is what you do when you have entertainment. As bizarre as that might sound. See, we we get really good at fragmenting our lives. We've got... (laughs) we, We fragment so much of our lives into what is sacred and what is secular. And we say, okay, when, when we spend time worshiping, or we go to a prayer meeting or in a Bible study, that's sacred. That's worship, right? And then when we do other things, when we're just hanging out with friends, when we're just relaxing, when we, you know, listening to secular music, you know, when we, when we watch a movie, you know, we think that is secular. That is of the world. And in many cases it is. But God is saying, this is your whole life. We need to learn what it looks like to hang out with our friends as an act of worship unto the Lord. Because that's what God intends for it to be. Do you know that God gave you friends? And God wants you to hang out with your friends. Yeah. And so that's all a way of pleasing God and worshiping God, hanging out with your friends. It's a good thing. When you rest, you know, God, rest was God's idea. God gives you rest. If it wasn't for God, we probably wouldn't ever rest. But God wants to give us rest. When you rest, just do it as an act of worship unto the Lord. When you watch a movie, when you play video games, this, is, this might be bizarre. This might be just out there for people, right? You can actually do that as an act of worship unto the Lord. I'm convinced of that. Because if you couldn't, then why would you waste your time on it? This might be a challenging word. I'm just saying it. You know? Because worship is the pinnacle of what God is calling us to. He's calling us to to worship him with everything. And worship is the privilege that God calls us to. Worship is not a burden. Worship is not legalism. Worship is freedom. And God intends to us God intends for us to move fully into that freedom. And the freedom that He has bought for us. We've been set free to worship Him. So we need to expand our understanding of what worship is. Now just to whatever we're doing, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Because, you know, once, once you get to heaven, that's all you're going to do is worship. And it's going to be infinitely greater than anything you can imagine right now. It's going to be like the, the highest thing you can imagine right now. It's going to be a little bit like that, but infinitely better. Right? That's going to be worship in heaven. God, you, right now, God has released us into eternal life. Do you know that? That's what Jesus says in John 17. He says, eternal life is knowing God. When God brings you into relationship with himself, 
you've entered into eternal life. Right now, we're living eternally. It's already begun. And so God's leading us down this path of worship. He's leading us toward maturity and growth and freedom in worship in its fullness. And that comes through, it comes as a response to who God is and what he is. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to worship. And we worship in response to who he is and what he's done. He's growing us in revelation. He's growing us in this place. And I'm going to stop there for now. Um, But we're just, we're going to pray and seal these things in to close. Let's just pray. Father, we praise you that even now you're opening our eyes further to what worship is and what you're calling us to in worship. God, we praise you that you are a God who is continually moving us forward into your heart, God, into freedom, greater levels of freedom, greater levels of freedom to worship you. We live to worship you. Teach us what it means to live to worship you, to be loved by you, to love you, and to worship you, God. Thank you, Lord. Move this body further, God. Move this group, this church, God. Lead us on, God. Lead us further, God. We desire it. We know you desire it, God, so we take hold of your willingness and we say, yes, God, lead us further, God. Make us passionate worshipers of you that you would be glorified in us, God. The world, that the world would see you in us, God. And that they would praise you, God, in response. Thank you, Father. As Father, we love you, God. We surrender our lives as living sacrifices as we respond to who you are and what you've done, God. We praise you, God. We ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.